0: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. We are recording on a Monday afternoon in order to compete with AskCast Extra. So, Andre, I'm joined with, with your presence as always. Uh, how are you, my friend?
1: Uh, oh, God, I'm good, thank you. How are you? And I should say, hello, Mr. Dow. <laughs>
0: The, the, uh, the standard catchphrase of our of our little podcast, but uh, yes, I'm very well, I'm very well and it's uh, good to be talking to you, although I'm sure we won't be thinking that shortly. <laughs> um, we are recording, as I said, on a Monday and this is after the return of Premier League football and on Friday night, of course, uh, Arsenal played Brentford and lost 2-0 away at uh, a brand new stadium for us. Um, so what we thought we'd do to start with uh, is, and we're going to carry this on throughout the season, is we're going to try and paint a picture for listeners of away days and sort of give our ratings of different away grounds and, and how we see different different elements of it, whether it's the travel, whether it's the parking. I know Andre's a big fan of... Uh, Parking requirements at stadiums, uh, the food, things like that. So we'll just try and get into the nitty gritty of uh, the away day experience. But this was obviously a very significant one because it was the return of fans. And for both Andre and myself, it was the first opportunity we had to be in a full stadium again um with no restrictions uh, no social distancing um I, I know they said about wearing face masks in the in the concourse but that didn't really happen um but it's it was a really it, it felt like a very novel experience i don't know how it felt for you andre but uh it was it was real uh, walking into the ground was just one of the most excited i've ever felt at a football match just knowing we were back
1: yeah, you've sort of summed it up perfectly. I mean, it's a, a really interesting ground to get to. And I'll get on to this later about sort of my overriding emotion leaving the ground. Um, I was so excited all day to be going. Uh, almost regardless of the outcome, I wasn't excited to see Arsenal. <laughs> I was, but I was more excited to be in an away end again and a full stadium and and be part of that hostility you get I, that I think I've missed so much. I actually went back and had a look because we talked to, talked about that Chelsea away game being uh, the one we enjoyed, and I believe that was the last one we went to together. It was yeah, that was January twenty nineteen. Wow, which is such a long time. It is such a long time. Um, And our last game with a full stadium was in early March 2020, which again is 15 months. Um, Or maybe I've got my maths wrong there. It's a bit longer, isn't it? It's more like um, 17 months. It is such an extraordinary amount of time. Um, And I know we've we've talked often about how lucky we are. We've got this and managed to keep it going. But there's just nothing like going to a game. Um, And it was so enjoyable to go to Brentford. Um, you, you are bang on about the parking. I mean, I, I got a lift and let me tell you, the parking that had been sourced, 10 minute walk from the stadium, 10 pounds. It was magnificent. Um, I got to the ground an hour early because we were particularly concerned about the checks that there might be. Um, and I have to say, Brentford Stadium is in an utterly bizarre place by Chiswick Groundabout where you go under a motorway. To access the away end, um, absolutely bizarre place. Um, but I know you sort of had a bit more of a classic away day experience with actually actually going to a pub pre match. And I know um, when I saw you at halftime, you were you were uh, evangelising about that.
0: Yeah. So my as you say, my, my away day experience was, was lo- probably more traditional to to what we expect. Um, so I went up with a few people from Margate on the train, and we got an early train up. Um, and then we got off at Kew Bridge and went and had a drink along the Thames, which was lovely and not not very football related because it was just, uh, there was lots of football fans there, but it wasn't any chanting or anything like that. It was just a case of just everyone was sort of getting ready for the game. And then we walked down to uh, Gunnersbury and went to, which was in fact the designated away pub um, down that end. And we had uh, a drink in there and it was Going into the pub was such a fantastic experience because we walked in, the place was rammed, um, there wasn't any uh, booking system for tables or anything like that, there wasn't a, a person at the door counting how many people were coming in, it was just a case of in you come, go to the bar, order yourself a drink um and then joining with the with the songs that were going back and forth in the pub. So it was a really, really um cool experience to be part of. And I, I'm I'm so glad that, that that was part of my pre-match sort of routine. Um but it was it was surreal being in that sort of environment because it's been so long since we've been in 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 a pub in that sort of format. Um, where there weren't any restrictions. And it just, it made you sort of forget about everything that's gone on in the past sort of year and a half or whatever it's been. So that was lovely. And then we went and had a quick, quick bite to eat down in Chiswick, which was was really novel for me as well, because I lived in Chiswick for a year. And obviously that's, that's the first time I've been up to that area since, since I moved away. So that was, that was quite interesting as well. And uh, I felt quite nostalgic being, uh, being back up there. Um, and then we walked to the ground and uh, obviously you you went in a lot earlier than uh, than I did. Um, we sort of risked it a little bit more and we, we didn't get into about 15 minutes before kickoff. Um, so naturally, there was a bit more of a build up to the number of supporters queuing up to get in just because... I mean, I, I if I'd been riding solo, so to speak, I wouldn't have left it that late. But obviously, when you're with a group, you kind of go with the general consensus. Um, but no, it was uh, it was fine to get in a bit, a bit of queuing. But in terms of checks and things, I didn't really do anything when we when we went into the ground. Um, I Agree entirely with you about you wouldn't know the stadiums there unless you're looking for it. You do not know that 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 stadium is hidden behind all those tower blocks, and obviously just next to the Chiswick roundabout. So it's a it's a really bizarre one. I I almost quite like stadiums that are tucked away like that. And then when yeah. we actually went into the ground, uh, like I said at the start, I I I just looked through the tunnel towards where the pitch was, and that was. That was the single moment and memory that I'm going to take away from from Brentford because I just had this enormous warm feeling going through my body when I, I was just so happy and content at the situation because I knew that I was in the ground. I knew that I was going to go into the stadium I was going to start singing and supporting Arsenal again and it was just it was just fantastic from start uh, from well I was going to say start to finish which we all know that that isn't the case <laughs> but no, um, I have
1: to say. You, 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 the build-up was better than anything that happened on the pitch. Um, we'll get to that. I mean, I think critically, Tom, I, I must tell you, um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this every away day, but I, I, as I was in so early, I had, I had dinner in there and Brentford did not have a pie on the menu.
0: That um, is controversial. Which, that is very controversial.
1: To say the very least. If, if I was at Forest Green and it was a vegan menu, I, I know what I'm going in for. I had a lamb shawarma wrap at a football ground. Now,
0: <laughs> I, I, You told me this at half time during the game and it made me laugh then. And you telling me it then has made me laugh again.
1: So. <laughs> I, I, I just it had a, a lovely mint sauce um, running through it and a bit of salad. But let me tell you, that is not going to football food. Um, and, and I have to say, I do wonder when they're going to start allowing bottled drinks to have the cap on. It is the most frustrating thing. I'm going to have to start dealing bottle lids in the Emirates, I think, <laughs> every away just, It's just so infuriating. What do you think I'm going to do? Just take, just, do just, just take a do? bag in
0: with you with, like, 50 used lids.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to lob a bottle of Pepsi Max at Sergi Canos as he takes a corner. I don't think so. Um, anyway, so, yeah, that was uh, that was superb. And I'd, I'd actually give the Lam Chuan about 7 out of 10. Um, so it be interesting to see where that that ranks at the end of the season, but um, unique for sure. Um, but moving swiftly on, Tom. So I think we've got to start a bit more chronologically. Um, about three o'clock in the afternoon, it's, uh, well, actually, probably a little bit early, about two o'clock. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is ill. About an hour later, Lacazette is also ill. About an hour later, so is Alex Runnison, which um, didn't get the publicity
0: it deserved. Uh, it
1: deserved. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I was quite excited. I was quite excited because I thought, yes, there's going to be something fresh and exciting. We're going to see Martinelli. We're going to see Saka um, from the start. All right. It was Balogun. But I was really excited. Um, and I, I realise now how wrong I was to be excited. Um but I'd be so interested to know whether you think by the end of this it'd be good to discuss whether we think either of them playing made a difference. But what was your sort of initial reaction with that news and then the subsequent team news?
0: Well, my initial reaction when when uh, Abamyang uh, was announced that he was going to be missing, uh, I wasn't that disappointed if I'm honest because I've I, I, I told you that I felt that we played better without Aubameyang and with maybe Lacazette as the, as the focal point. So when we went into the game and that was the thinking, that we we assumed we'd have Lacazette, um, I kind of was looking forward to it because I thought maybe it took away a decision from Mikel Arteta about dropping one of his senior players. Um, and then when we found out that Lacazette was also out, I was a bit more apprehensive, but still quite excited. I don't know if that's because I was, I was en route to to um, to Brentford, and I'm not sure if, if I was sort of just getting a bit ahead of myself at that point. But I, I, I think the inclusion of youngsters um, goes one of two ways, and it kind of goes either it's completely this raw sort of approach to a game without any sort of inhibitions or anything like that, and they're kind of fearless, or it goes the way it kind of went for us, where the players are maybe a little bit overwhelmed by the situation and maybe just showing themselves not to be quite as ready as maybe we thought they were. And obviously I'm looking at, I'm looking at Flo Balogun as, as maybe the, the prime example of that. And I didn't think Gabriel Martinez looked particularly ready for action. And obviously that's probably down to the fact he's only just returned from the Olympics with Brazil. So there's a fair case to be made that he's not really up to match sharpness with Arsenal. But um, that was my initial thoughts. And then obviously the first 20 minutes of the game, we sort of, we sort dominated the ball without really doing a lot with it. Um, and then it kind of all went downhill from there. <laughs> mm, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I was quite excited about the team, particularly Martinelli. Um, and then, you know, players come out... Um, I thought we started brightly enough, but I think let's start by talking about their goal. Well, and whether there was anything even leading up to the goal, I think you said to me in the ground, it just felt like they were starting to have a spell and bang, they've scored. Yeah, I mean... I mean spells just, oh, they just don't seem to materialise in anything. No,
0: and I think that spell where they had, they... It wasn't like they were peppering the goal with with sort of shots or anything like that. It was just the, the the fact the ball kept going into our box and we kept clearing it, but only sort of half clearing it, and then it would come back in again, and then we half cleared it again, and it sort of came about because of that. And I think it it, it was Callum Chambers who cleared it for the final time, wasn't it? And then it came back in, um, and then obviously when when a player comes into the box, this this infuriated me because when a player comes into the box your first instinct as a defender surely should be to try and lead them away from goal. And Callum Chambers did the exact opposite. He got himself into a really awkward body position where he, he shaped up to send him inside as opposed to shifting the player away from the goal. And that, that was sort of sort of two errors within, within the 10 second period for Callum Chambers. And uh, I think that was kind of an embodiment of his, uh, his evening overall, because I think he really struggled. Um, and then, obviously, the fact that we had three right-backs on the bench and then when Chambers did come off, it was a left-back who came on to play a right-back kind of summed up the uh, the message from Mikel Arteta that we don't really have a suitable uh, option in that in that position to really play the way we want to play. But that first goal, I just... I mean, you can, you can sort of hold it... it Obviously, Leno being beaten at his near post is always one that's going to raise question marks. But that wasn't the area that I initially went to as a as a criticism.
1: Mm, yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, I think one of the things that really stood out to me, being back in a ground and feeling the anticipation from the other team, Brian and Bueno is bloody fast. He, it's he safe is. to say. <laughs> and, and I did watch quite a bit of. Brentford in the championship, because they're good fun to watch. They weren't very fun to watch in this, but what always impressed me was how effective they were. And they went 5-3-2, lumped it from front to back, flicked it on, and put, on a through, put a pacey striker through on goal. That is one of the oldest tricks in the book, and it gets Arsenal time and time again. Um, I saw Ben White come in for some criticism about aerial duels. I'm sorry, it's nothing to do with him, it's the midfield. You've got to be winning the second balls. You must know they're going to be up for the fight, buoyed by a full stadium for the first time. And I think that's what frustrated me so much, is that is what gave them momentum time and time again. It was not really. How many times did they flick it straight on? They didn't. That doesn't really happen in professional football. But getting the second ball, I mean, that, that, there was a, an abuemo chance where he hits the post before they score. It is such basic defending, and to let Marie be so exposed against him is just—it's just average. Is what it is. Yeah, um, I
0: think you've you summarised that really well. And uh, obviously, the, the the starting point has to be from from a central central midfield players, and then working your way back. But um, just touching on, uh, I'll put my de- defending hat on for a second. Um, obviously, Pablo Marie and Ben White were our centre back pairing. I don't think. Uh, either one of them sort of covered themselves in glory for for the game. Um, and I wanted to comment on Ben White particularly, just because obviously the, he was very much under the microscope because of being the new signing, making his debut. Um, and obviously he's had a couple of encouraging performances during pre-season. But I did think he struggled. And what, what concerns me is that he tries to play defensively, very much on the front foot, like Koscielny used to, um, trying to nick the ball in front of uh, the attackers. Or, um, and it, it's, it's a game of such fine margins that if it works, it's absolutely brilliant. And it really sets you up for a counter-attack. But if it doesn't work, which I, I counted at least four occasions in the first half, where he tried to come out of his, ba- his basic central defensive position to go and attack the ball, and there was at least four occasions where he then mis misread the ball or didn't quite get there or missed the header and then, as a result of that, our back three it became were really exposed, and Ben White was out of position and It was interesting because then Callum Chambers was forced to come inside to tighten up that gap that was left by Ben White, but then that left space on on the wide areas of the pitch, which then Brentford were able to attack. So it was it was a challenging evening for Ben White, I think. But I don't think he was helped by his defensive partner at all. And I, I'm I'm not seeing an awful lot from Pablo Murray that fills me with an awful lot of confidence. Um he gets turned far too easily, and when he does, he doesn't have the pace to recover. Um so it's it, it was alarming, and I I think I'm looking forward to obviously Gabriel being back, which I think is meant to be sort of start of September. Um, and hopefully, him and Ben White can start to then form a partnership. But that was kind of my takeaway from the, uh, the defensive attribute uh, elements of the uh, of the game.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, I agree. And um, then going on to their second goal, uh, this is why it <laughs> yeah. felt, it, 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 felt it, it did feel like Arsenal of old, didn't it? Um, I, I saw, I, I think I was, I don't know, if it was on Arscast, or something. I was listening to was like we li- we played all the greatest hits you know. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) We did though, we really did. It was like a pure Arsenal performance and the fact we got done by a long throw by a team in red and white. I know,
0: I felt like I was at the Britannia again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know and also they had that in the corner of the ground, they've got that gap which very much reminded me of Stoke uh, you know, directly opposite to where we were sat. Yeah. And I have to say, it, it did feel like Arsenal of old. old. Um, and look, I think, um, I mean, let me tell you, the texts on my phone from Kelly were that she was very aggrieved at the decision to not give a foul against Bernd Leno, um, which I do understand. I mean, there's no question last season that gets ruled out. And I've got a funny feeling having seen the games this weekend, we're going to be saying that a lot. Yeah. Um, and then I think it's really poor. It's poor defending. Um, and look, Leno's come in for some criticism. Um, and I just sort of wanted to get something that I've seen going round quite a bit. If if every time Leno's going to make a mistake this season, people are going to re-litigate what happened with Emmy Martin. Oh, God, yeah. I'm going to have to remove myself from social media because it's such a basic misunderstanding of what had to be done at the time. But... I mean, I don't know if you saw Emmy Martinez absolutely spill one. Um, he really should have saved Watford's first goal at the weekend. Yeah. You know, they're not two great keepers. We're talking about two pretty good keepers that have mistakes. But Leno, um, without going into all that, Leno looks broken. And I don't know what happened with Aaron Ramsdale. We spoke about it last week, but the clamour... And the need to get a goalkeeper that challenges him. And I think if if it was Ramsdale or another, I think they overtake Leno by the end of the season because he is he doesn't look good on the ball. His decision making is getting more erratic. He's not commanding his box. He looks like he's got worse, actually. Um, And uh, it's very concerning. I know it's only one game, but it does, I think, so much of what was hard about the Brentford game is it really did feel like a continuation of last season. So it's not just based on one game, I think, with Leno.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's kind of what we said about pre-season as well, is that it was not um, j- jumping to conclusions about pre-season in itself. It was the last two years combined that was sort of bringing those those concerns about the team and obviously I think you're absolutely right about Bert Leno that the, the thing that was infuriating about him is is he's not comfortable with the ball at his feet as 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 much as we need him to be and he is so labored in possession and it's it's so slow distributing the ball from the back and I think that's a, a big cause for concern and I think you're absolutely right whoever we bring in is number 2 um, providing it's not someone we bring in as as, as short term cover, and I'm thinking um, I know we've been linked with uh, Neto from from Barcelona. Um, I still I I still only honestly think we'll get we'll get Ramsdale. I think this is just a bit of a standoff about the price, um, mm. but I think whoever we bring in, like you say, will probably end up being number one. And I think that's why they're signing them. And you do you don't go and try and spend in in excess of 25 million on a goalkeeper if they're going to be sat on the bench, do you really? And I think they're kind of preparing themselves for replacing Leno and also for Leno moving on. because I, I don't think there's any indication he's going to sign a new contract.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, um, yeah, I think it was really soft. Um, and then, uh, and then, of course, you featured on Sky. Oh, um, I did.
0: The proudest moment of my life. and My phone uh, went absolutely crazy as I was inundated <laughs> with screenshots of uh, myself looking very, very glum. Um, and obviously, after the game, you sent me a video of it to, to say you've, you've been papped. <laughs> Um, which was uh, fantastic again. And someone, this was really good. So someone who I have not spoken to in probably six or seven years posted the picture on my timeline saying, hang on in there, Tom, only 37 games to go. <laughs>
1: That's lovely. That's like, well, we'll have to put that on the, uh, as the sort of um, poster for this picture, I think. Yeah. Uh, sorry for this podcast. Yes. I think that'd be the image that, that we put. Pop alongside it.
0: Um, <laughs> me looking glum.
1: <laughs> very glum. Very glum. And then um I think uh, we saw the introduction of Saka and um Reese Nelson and Tavares, Pepe through the middle. Um and we, we should have pulled at least one back. I mean that Pepe strike was was lovely and a very choreographed Arteta move. Um we're not short of being able to create that. I think I'd really like to sort of end the game discussion because I've got quite a few questions for you. But I think some real highlights for me were, I thought Lekonga looked excellent. And um, I thought there was a lovely one-two he did with Smith-Rowe. I think it was one that he chipped it back into him with a bit of ingenuity. It didn't come off. I think Smith-Rowe chested it and it was cleared. Um, But I thought he looked like a kind of central midfielder we've really lacked. A bit more enterprising in attack. Um, but still capable of covering the ground. I thought we had a very good game and a good debut. Um, and Emil Smith-Rowe looks pff, fantastic. I mean, he was the only one on the tee, on the pitch for me um, who gave absolutely everything and, and was a level above, clearly, the Brentford players. But he was the only
0: one. Yeah. Um, I had a text from my friend Kieran, uh, who's a Norwich fan, and... Um, Midway through the second half and just said, it's Emil Smith Rowe and Kieran Tierney versus. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of, kind of sums it up. Um, in terms of Kieran Tierney, I thought he's, um, his crossing was a little bit off from, from his usual high standards, yeah. but he was still our only threat. Our only threat going forward is from our left back. And it's so so concerning that that's where everything comes from. We don't have anyone in the in the box that can get on the end of his crosses. And yeah, okay, it was a it was a little bit like we said a bit suspect some of his final delivery. But our most threatening moments came down that left hand side, with the exception of the ML Smith road chance um, just after the restart. Um, which, by the way, that turn for that chance, obviously the the, the finish wasn't wasn't great, but the turn to create the space to drive into and then have that opportunity was fantastic and he, and he was the the shining light from uh, from our performance um and i hopefully that's just a, a sign of things to come for him but i think you're absolutely right about Lukonga, i think he looks looks a real real promising player and i i think he's going to he's going to end up playing a lot more games than we probably thought when we signed him that he was going to play so that's that's promising
1: mmm. Mm. Well, okay. so as we mentioned, our two uh, strikers were ill. Now, there's a very simple explanation for this, that um, you can see why if they do have COVID, it's not announced. That's not not been uncommon. They've hidden it a lot, although they did announce it with other players in the past. Um, Do you think there's something more sinister there? And if so... You know what on earth would the strike be? And like genuinely, you know, because I've seen you can get quite conspiracy heavy with this. Um, do you think it's COVID? Do you think it's something else? And if it's a, if it is a protest, I mean, would or some sort of, you know, uh, refusal to play? What you make of all of that?
0: Well, in a short answer is I don't I don't really know. But in terms of a longer answer with perhaps more to give away, I think I do I I, I, I think there probably is something more to it. And the reason why I think that is because um, when asked about it after the game, Arteta didn't know whether they'd be available for the Chelsea game. And if it was COVID, and we're assuming they have to have the the period of isolation or whatever, um, then yeah. you'd assume you have a bit more of a, a clear picture of when they're going to return, at least return to training or return to um, first team duty. So that was the, the thing that kind of made me alarm bells sort of start ringing. But I just, it's, it just strikes me as a little bit suspect what's going on and both, both I, I, I think I know what you're saying about, about potentially keeping it closer to your chest than, than just announcing it. But I do think by by not saying exactly what the problem is and just being really quite ambiguous with the term ill, I think you're opening yourself up for so much more criticism and so many more questions. And I just think Arsenal as a club are, are surely too savvy to, to be that naive to think that that would wash so that's what, that's another reason why I think something more more sinister is going on. Whether that is some sort of ploy that they, they're they trying to get out of the club or they've had a disagreement with Mikel Arteta, um, there's been loads of noise around that within the media. And I think the media are just speculating based on the stuff that I've kind of put together there. I don't think there's anything concrete to say Arsenal are happy for them to leave. Um, or they want to leave. I think it is a case of just putting two and two together and trying to come up with four. Um, yeah. So that's kind of my longer answer. But like, like I said, I, it's completely plausible that they are legitimately ill. Um, if it's not COVID, then you'd like to think at least one of them wouldn't be so ill that we have to rely on such a youthful squad for the evening, uh, maybe at least having one on the bench. But hey-ho, you, you just you just don't know. And uh, that's probably something until later in the transfer window we're not going to know the answer to.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and I have to say, um, it does show you, doesn't it? Well, I, I suppose it's sort of, I'm going to wrap this into a question. For me, I thought um, we lacked experience on the pitch, um, especially in the final third, especially the way... Brentford centre halves just knocked Balogun about, and Martinelli seemed to be drifting in way too much. And, and like you say, he didn't look, he didn't look like Martinelli should look, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, he he is quite an erratic player, uh, but he looked he looked a bit bereft of ideas and confidence and energy. Do you think they would have made a difference? Because uh, it's such a hard question, and it's like the the. It's the classic sort of butterfly effect, sliding doors effect. You know, do, do, do you think we win that game with both of them in the team?
0: Not necessarily, because I just I don't have any confidence in, in our ability to create chances. And as, as much as obviously we want Lacazette in the side or obamyang in the side to be that focal point, We still have to create those chances and perhaps we would create a few more with their sort of seniority and their movement and their ability to sort of, I'm thinking particularly Lacazette, his ability to sort of hold the ball up when he's having one of his better days. Um, I think we'd probably have a better chance with one of them, but I'm not sure how much of a better chance we'd have with both of them because I think... That's why I was quite buoyed when I heard that Abamian was out because I thought, okay, well, that's a that's not a problem that Arteta has to solve. And on form, and we're looking at pre season and and sort of last season. I think Abamian doesn't really get into the, the starting eleven, and I'd rather have Pepe um, playing as that sort of wild card entry, um, so to speak, um, instead of Abamian. And then having either Sack or Martinelli in that in that team to to offer the wide wide areas some sort of threat. So that's kind of my thinking. <laughs> it's not really an answer for you, but it's kind of my thinking. <laughs> what, yeah. what do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I, no, I I don't know that we would because I feel like, and this is sort of something that's been on my mind quite a lot since the weekend. Um, I feel like two things. I feel like Brentford. First ever game with full, a full stadium. First ever Premier League game. Um, I sort of had a feeling they'd win. And I think since the fixtures came out, who, who, if you're Brentford, do you pick to play your first home game? You pick Arsenal. And I think that's the thing that upsets me the most, is that, that we are that team. Well, we just are that team. And I think that's the thing that's hardest for me to accept is that if you wanted a raucous atmosphere, which club isn't going to come and spoil your day, but make it, it's Arsenal. And at the minute, it feels like whether it's a Bamiyang, Lacazette, virtually anyone who's been at the club in the last sort of 10 years, I don't know what team we've had in the last 10 years that doesn't go there and buckle. And I think that's one of the saddest things, to be honest, is that I actually felt the minute we got in the ground and it was it was loud. I mean, I thought their ground, I thought they created quite an atmosphere. I don't know if you had the same feeling, but it certainly felt it to me. Maybe not before they scored, but that's quite normal. You know, I think it's one of the most um, overplayed things about going to football that it's an incredible atmosphere before it's one. It's not in, in most games you go to once a team goes one nil up, the atmosphere tends to really ramp up. And if something happens on the pitch that makes it 2-0 against your rivals or like they were, then they were loud once they were 2-0 up. Um, But I'm just sick of it. I'm sick and tired of being the club that does that. And you can blame Arteta. You can blame Edu. I don't even know where to point the blame with a lot of this at the minute. But that's the part for me that I'm really struggling with. Um, You know, watching... And I do think, and something we saw across the weekend, that the impact of fans makes a huge difference. And then I don't know whether this is just me being... Because I don't really trust our fans. Are Arsenal going to create that atmosphere against Chelsea? Are we going to really get behind the team? I don't see it. Do you? I mean, I just just don't see us at home, even though it's been forever since we had a full crowd there, putting all our frustrations to one side to truly get behind your team. I just see it being a sterile atmosphere of fury. And we've sat in that at the Emirates too many times, and I think all of that together is what is laying heavily on, boy, it's resting heavily on my shoulders after the first weekend of the season.
0: Yeah, and I think I, I'm going to touch on something you just just mentioned. You mentioned obviously the the upcoming home game against Chelsea, and if, if we're able to replicate that atmosphere, which um, historically you'd say not not likely, um, and obviously given the, the the calibre of the opposition. Romelu Lukaku's probably going to come in for his debut, so I'm fully expecting him to give us a torrid afternoon. Um, but what I would say about that game is that since we've moved to the Emirates, and this is the first time this has happened in my time supporting Arsenal, we received as season ticket holders an email on Friday to say that the game had gone to, on sale to friends and family of members, which means that you can buy up to four tickets on your own membership that you can give to friends and family. And that is unheard of um, for an Arsenal home game. It's particularly unheard of for a game against the European champions, against a, a, a game of that calibre that you'd expect everyone to want, to want a ticket. And like you said, it's been so long since we've been able to go to football again people still don't want to come because of where Arsenal are at at the moment. And obviously you can talk about the, the cost of going to football and, and, and that element of it, um, but, and how much Arsenal charge for tickets. But you'd think Arsenal have enough members that you'd think that people would want to go. And if I ever hear, ever hear someone say, oh, I'm desperate to go to an Arsenal game, I can never get tickets. Right, you can get as many tickets as you bloody well want for this game. And it's a big game. So I really don't want to ever hear people moaning about not being able to get tickets. Be a red member, get a ticket, done. It's not hard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but how do you really feel? <laughs> uh,
0: oh god, but yeah, that that's annoyed me. Um but no, I just I I can't see I, I'm looking at our first three fixtures and obviously Chelsea this Sunday and then and then we've got Man City and we said on the podcast last week that we felt that three points would be about right because we'd have to... You'd hope that we'd beat Brentford and then you'd expect us probably to lose to Chelsea, Man City. And now we're in a situation where we could very easily be after those three games on zero points and completely up against it because obviously that's how big... I I, I felt the game against Brentford was massive for that reason. And it was obviously first game of the season, you want to get off to a good start, but it was more of a big deal because of the following two games and and the likelihood of us getting a result in those two. So we we really are up up against it now. But then it would be typical Arsenal, wouldn't it, to go and get a result against one of those teams and then just really annoy us. So I I don't know what to make of it.
1: No, no. But it does look like today we're going to get some news that um, Granit Xhaka is committing to four years.
0: Oh. Yeah, I read that.
1: Um, <laughs> and uh, it does look like Erdegaard is, um, is going to happen. I mean, I think that's the positive news. I'd love him in before the Chelsea game, but I've got a funny feeling for deadline day. Um, we need him. We need him. It's pretty clear we need him. Um, and look, I think so much, and I, I think this is so well documented that it's almost like arbitrary to say it, but you look at right back and you look at the fact Tavares came on and you look at we've got Cedric, Maitland-Niles, Bellerin and Chambers and, and, and I thought Tavares made a pretty good impact actually. Yeah, he did. Um, but, but the fact that I want to ask you whether he should start there against Chelsea, that we don't feel out the four we've got, we've got any and we've stockpiled players and we could have got rid of Chambers a few years ago. I mean, it's just so many pain points and so much seems to be coming home to roost in quite a, um, a painful way. But I guess it leaves us to say, and something that I think is on everyone's lips, you know, terrible start, could get worse. Mikel Arteta, do you think he can construct an attack? Do you think there's a couple of pieces that put this into place or do you think it's beyond him? Because we just have no idea about him as a coach. And this is what I've been sort of thinking about basically since Friday. Is Can, can he do it? And I just don't know. Does Odegaard really make us a creative team that's going to score enough goals to to get us competing for top four? Um... And when do we decide? At what At what point do you go... You have had the players you want. You can't do it. Goodbye.
0: Well, I, I think... I I, th- I think we're getting close to that time already. And it, it seems mad to say that after one game. But I think we, we're we so convinced that we are going to lose the next two games that three defeats from your first three would be absolutely shocking, regardless of the teams that you're playing and the circumstances that you're playing them in. And I just think... We've not seen anything to suggest now that Arteta can construct this team and build a a squad that that he can play the way he wants to play it. Um, And I don't think we've got the players in there to play how he wants. I think that's a big thing. But he's then inhibited by the fact that we can't move on the players that he wants to move on and therefore we can't bring in replacements. That's the, big, that's the big thing and that's why it's so difficult to answer this question honestly because we, we genuinely don't know which players, well, we know which players we don't want, but we don't know which players Arteta feels he can work with and which players he feels he can trust within the systems that he wants to play. What that then does open up is, does he then need to adapt as a manager to a slightly different style like he did when he first came in when he played with the three at the back? And that and that worked in terms of creating a counter-attacking team. Does he need to do something like that so that he can make use of the players that we've got currently without using the excuse that we haven't got the players that he needs? But my honest assessment of it of it is that I I think he's out of his depth personally, and I don't have the faith that I did after the FA Cup final, which is obviously natural given the success of that. But I just, I just really am struggling to see light at the end of the tunnel, and it, it concerns me that the longer it goes on, and the longer we keep producing these insipid displays, um, it's, it's just going to be a bigger and a bigger mess to, to sort of correct at the end of it. So that, that's where I'm kind, kind of at, and that's, that's probably the first time that I've been at a point as desperate as that. Um, regarding Mikel Arteta, because I'm I'm so keen for him to do well. I really want him to turn this around, but it's getting to a point now where I just I'm really struggling to see how he does.
1: Mm. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and I think that's the hardest and saddest thing. Um, and I think there's just going to be a lot more pain. And I think. Uh, Uh, The thing is, is I I just don't trust even if we got the players we wanted that he can do it. And I think that's the hardest thing. I honestly think that's the hardest thing. Um, I was actually, while you were just uh, talking there, I was actually having a little look at just how many seats are available for the Chelsea game. Um, And if you look at the clock end particularly, I mean, it's almost all free in the upper stand. Yeah. Which uh, I don't think I've seen, like you said, I don't think I've seen for a game like this. Yeah. and it's quite phenomenal really it's
0: quite phenomenal yeah and just just to sort of further emphasize that i i'm obviously i'm a member of a a supporters club down in kent and uh, we got an email as members today to say we have loads of tickets available for the chelsea game can you please try and help us to get rid of them because that's that's the situation it's it's going to be the situation for all home games this season i would i would have thought um, because people just don't want to go. And it's really sad. It's really sad. And I'm I'm gutted that we're going on, on Sunday and it's not going to be a full house and it's not going to be a rocking stadium. I'm, I'm gutted about that. Um, because I think that would go... If everyone was behind the team, it would go such a long way to helping to create an atmosphere that we can actually be successful in. But it's... You can understand why people don't want to go, but at the same time my My opinion has always been that i'm a I'm a supporter I go to see my team through thick and thin, regardless how well they're doing i I still go and see my team and that's kind of the disappointing factor that I've seen um that I've seen so many people on Facebook that have just said no you know what I'm not going so my ticket's for sale and and that 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 element of it doesn't quite sit right with me because i i i still feel I feel obliged to go and support them. Um, and a lot of people obviously don't have that same mindset, which is it's each to their own. That's absolutely fine. But it's, uh, I find it really sad at the moment. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it, it, it's hard to take. It's hard to take. But however, how, whatever you want me to say here, I think, look, I think it's going to be a much better run after September. I think we'll do this first couple of weeks of September and everything will just feel better. Everything will feel better. But as I said to you in the ground, I think uh, I'll leave you with this. I went to uh, Barnett v. Brentford, FA Cup, f- I think maybe the second round and uh, no, third round, actually, because Brentford are in the championship. Uh, Barnet drew three all. Uh, Ollie Watkins actually cheated, uh, dived for a penalty to get an equaliser to make it three all. Um, then the return game was at Griffin Park, which was my only other experience of Brentford, and uh, Sergi Canos ripped Barnet to shreds. Now Barnet are in the Conference, the National League, um, so to watch Sergi Canos do it to Arsenal after having him see it do it to seeing him do it to Barnet a couple of years ago was honestly that for me was the thing that struck home the most that Callum Chambers isn't that much better. Then, um, then right back. Um, God, I, I don't even know. But <laughs> I think, uh, do you know, I actually don't know who on earth played right back. But they had a left back called David Tatunda, who I, I reckoned at the time was one of the worst left backs I've ever seen. He, he did get better, but 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 to see Brentford tear, tear Barnet apart and then do it to to Arsenal sort of summed it all up. And I just thought, do you know what? It is what it is. It'll be better, but it's not going to be better for so long. And if we can't, if we can't f- have a fight against, you know, really battle with Brentford, it is just going to be the exact same season as last season. And and that, that for me has me currently like rubbing my forehead in with just thinking about that. And I think that's the part that I think everyone's feeling is that it's going to be so similar and it hurts.
0: We love you, Arsenal. <laughs> we do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> And and you know what summed it all up was getting West Brom away in the cup. Oh, we could have had, and we got West Brom.
0: I I love the 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 team that is the the furthest northern team in the southern draw. (laughs) Bear in mind Aston Villa in the north draw, the furthest uh, northern team in the southern draw. We fucking got them. Oh, I mean we're both going to go, but it's not the point.
1: It's not, it's not. But uh, I think that might be our first win of the season. It bloody well better be. I'll just say that now. We cannot get knocked out in the second round of the Carabao. That is, that is the line, I'm afraid, (laughs) Mikel.
0: That's where we draw the line. Doesn't matter about anything else, we draw the line at West from away in the Carabao.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: Okay. On, on that uplifting note, we'll bring this podcast to a close. Uh, thank you very much for everyone for listening. And uh, if you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Which Andre has been doing a a far better job than me at populating with uh, with content. So uh, hopefully that will continue. And leads me just to say thank you, Andre, for your time. As always, it's been a pleasure as ever. Yep.
1: Yeah. Pleasure as ever and and hopefully this time next week we're doing a podcast, um, having beaten Chelsea and we're very, very happy.
0: Okay, thank you for listening and goodbye.